Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to have everybody here. We're, uh, it's awesome to see everybody on this Labor Day weekend, and uh, we're super excited about what's going to be happening this fall as we come into this next season. I just want to welcome you. If you're new to our church, we're glad you're here. After worship, you can get a gift from our church out here, and uh, I hope you find this to be a place that's inspirational, friendly, encouraging, and uh, I know it's tough as you're looking for a new church. Where are you going to go? How's it going to feel? And uh, so we just want to say you're welcome, and uh, there are a lot of cool things that are going on, and and, uh, you know, we love the Lord, we teach His Word, and, uh, and what you see is what you get. So we're just glad you guys are here today. And in light of that, you're about to see <laughs> what you get to see is what you get. Because I'm going to tell you a story that is going to be, uh, at the end of it, I'm just telling you, it's going to have the most awkward sermon transition ever. Okay, I'm just going to admit it right now. As a speaker, um, John, get me here in a minute, all right? But yesterday I was at, uh, you know, JB over here. Uh, I enjoy JB a lot. JB dates my daughter, but he also hangs out with us a lot, which is cool. It's a lot of fun, and JB's always fun. So I, I dare JB to do stuff all the time, all right? And uh, so we'll just be, like, going around, and, and uh, you know, I might be a skyline and say, hey, drink that, like, a, just bottle of hot sauce, and I give you, I mean, this will be awesome. And he's like, just goes at it. And, and uh, but anyway, yesterday we were at a cross-country uh, meet for Hannah down in Northern Kentucky University, and all these D1 schools, and then CCU was there, and, and they're running, and, and these guys are already cutting up as soon as I get there. You know, it was already a funny introduction. I felt like dad of the year, right, because the race starts at 945, Hannah calls me, I need my inhaler. I'm like, she needs her inhaler, you know, like, it's a dad job, and I'm like, flying down there, I get down, and I pull in. I literally, I'm, I'm getting there like at 9.38, she's going to run at 9.45, I'm not kidding, I'm like, and suddenly a guy's like, he's like, you want to get in the car, because it's a long way down to the entrance, I was like, yes, he's like, you know, he's almost hits another car, literally flies me, I'm like, thanks man, I appreciate it, you know, I'm running, it's now 9.42, they're about to start the race, and it was literally like this, I get to the line, they're already lined up, they're going to start early, it's like I toss it to her, you know, it's like, it's awesome, all right, and it's already funny, we're already having a good time, and we're cutting up, and these guys are like, they don't know any of the girls' names, so they're like yelling at a group of girls, like, go, go, you know, Rebecca, go Sally, they didn't make it up, they're figuring one of these girls in this group has to be named, you know, Sally or whatever. Brenda, I don't know. And uh, so anyway, then we're cutting up anyway, and now we're on our way out. We're leaving. I'm back in the golf cart. It's JB. It's Hannah. It's Kevin, who also is an intern here. And, uh, and it's a guy from UC and the guy from Northern Kentucky driving the cart. And uh, we're now driving down. And like I said, a lot of times I'll be like, hey, JB, do this for five bucks or whatever. And so I put it on myself, and I go, I saw a dad that I didn't know, but I knew his daughter was from CCU. And so um, and so I was like, hey, he's real conservative looking dude. I was like, hey, JB. And this is what popped in my head. Five bucks if I smack that dude on the rear as we pass by. That's, that's what went in my head, all right? And, uh, and, and I mean, his hand was there. I, he was walking. I could have easily been like, low five, you know, whatever. But I don't know if it was the velocity of the golf cart or if it was just my the, you know, the power of CrossFit training, I'm not sure, but, like, I, like, I went by this dude, was like, whap, you know, and, like, he's like, whoo, and, and, and the next few moments did not happen like I thought they would, I thought what would happen with this guy would be like, ha ha, so funny, you know, whatever, but I don't know him at all, he had this incredible shock look on his face, you guys should be like, hey, you should be smarter than that, you should have played it off, like, maybe it was JB's idea, so I'm like, 
you know, like that. But no, I didn't do that. I just, because, and you say, well, how did he know it was you? It probably had to do with, like, the fist, like, the victory fist that I pumped in the air. I look back and I'm like, yeah! Like, like a college student. I thought afterwards I should have, yeah, it's going to be an awkward meeting when I see this guy next time. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, what's up, bro? Um, I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, so I, I, I think what I should have yelled out to him, uh, i.e. enter awkward sermon transition, God loves you and so do I. I don't know. Something like that. And, uh, or something like, you matter to God and you matter to me. I don't know. So what we're going to talk about today is the fact that you matter to God. Amen? All right? You see where my story came in? No matter what the story is, you can always make it fit. That's horrible. Horrible. Uh, I want to uh, pray for us as we get started today. We are going to talk about how every life matters to God today. All right? Lord, we just give you thanks that uh, you love us, and thank you for uh, the fact we can have fun together and be real together and laugh together. And, and God, I just thank you for our church family and the, and the fact that we uh, you know, really have this just this love for Christ and for your word and, and for each other. So God, uh, as we uh, lean into the word today, just give us the ability to hear and, uh, and to see what you have for us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in a series on the parables of Jesus, specifically in the book of Matthew. And uh, we started a couple weeks ago. We're going to be taking this all the way through uh, October. These little stories that Jesus told that had this incredible meaning to them, all right? And so we're telling these stories, and the one we're going to read today is from Matthew 18, and then we're going to do another one in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 15. So listen to Matthew 18, verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the ninety-nine sheep that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. What we're going to learn today is that Jesus cares about the one. Yes, he had massive crowds that follow him. Yes, he focused often on teaching those large crowds. But when you get down to it, Jesus was motivated by one life at a time. That, that's one of the reasons why when we started Access Church 10 years ago now, that, we, that, we, that our mission was we're going to revolve around, around Jesus. Because everybody revolves their life around something, their kids, their family, their, their pursuits, their money, their house, whatever it is. And so we said, well, what does the Bible actually say about that? Well, well, Jesus takes first place. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. And so we want to revolve the world around Jesus, but how are we going to do that? One life at a time. One life at a time. That's how Jesus did it. When it came to healing, he never did drive-by healings. He never could have just looked at everybody around the Sea of Galilee and said, you're healed. And everybody could have been healed, but he didn't do it that way. He walked among the people. He healed individual by individual. He was motivated by the one. A good example of that is in Matthew 8, verse 1, where it says, Jesus came down from the mountainside, and while there were large crowds that followed him, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man this man that nobody else would touch. This man that when a leper walked by on the street, you walked by the other way and you had to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. This is much what Lisa yells to me when I come home from training too hard, you know. Unclean, unclean. She doesn't really do that, but anyway. But here's a man that nobody else would touch. And, and, and instead, Jesus said, given the opportunity, 
I want to heal this man. I want to touch this man. And you see that pattern with Jesus over and over again. Just after this encounter with the leper, he went to Peter's house where his mother-in-law was sick and with a fever. And the Bible says in verse 15 that Jesus touched her hand. And then in verse 16 of that same chapter in Matthew, it reports that many who were demon-possessed and sick were brought before him and he healed each one. And then in verse 32 of Matthew 8, when the demon-possessed man who everyone else had avoided and feared came to Jesus, Jesus felt compassion on him and he restored him. Here's what I'm saying. When it comes to healing, Jesus was focused on the individual. When it came to offering forgiveness and compassion, Jesus also cared for the one. In John 4, Jesus came to the well in the middle of the hot day with a woman there that uh, was widely known in the town. And Jesus focused his attention on her. He offered her forgiveness and a new way of life. Jesus healed her soul. In John 8, when the religious leaders brought the woman caught in the act of adultery before Jesus in an attempt to stone her, this is the famous line where Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And all of them then went away in their own guilt and their own shame. And, and Jesus then took her by the hand and said that there was no one to condemn her but go and sin no more. He focused on her, her forgiveness, her need. In Luke 19, there were so many people who wanted to see Jesus. All the crowds were pressing around him. And there was a little short guy there that, in my own mind, I picture Zacchaeus to kind of look like Danny DeVito. And, and this Danny DeVito character went up a tree to just get an idea. What does Jesus look like? Can I maybe see him? Can I maybe get attention here in a moment? And Jesus walked by and noticed this short, this little, little man. And says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. Jesus focused on the individual when it came to forgiveness and compassion. I could go on and on and on. But bottom line is, Jesus cared for the one. And a very similar parable he tells in a little different setting to some religious leaders in Luke 15. Verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Notice who makes up the crowd. Tax collectors on one side and sinners, and then Pharisees and teachers of the law on the other side. And they, they, these guys over here could not stomach the fact that Jesus cared for the ones in his life. They, they couldn't stomach the idea that Jesus actually would have compassion and forgiveness for tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus tells this story then, in light of this crowd, to say, Jesus doesn't focus on those who are self-righteous. He's not focused on those who think they have it all together. He's focused on the one that's lost. And wouldn't you do the same? If 99 are safely in the, in the pen, wouldn't you go after the one that's lost, especially if you care for it? In 2011, when I was in Israel, um, we went to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is Palestinian territory, and so uh, we had to go through the wall there. And we're in our bus. There's men with uh, machine guns, and we are getting checked as we go through. We go through the wall on the Israeli side. It's like pristine on the other side. It's a lot of graffiti. There's a lot of frustration by those who are inside the wall. And so there's a lot of chaos there. We're driving. Now there's vendors. Buy this. Hello, my friend. Come here. It's just like this. Come here and buy this. Have tea with me. And then we get there. And all this chaos, 
And we come uh, uh, just on the other side, we find these hillsides there. And, I mean, it is pristine. And these are the Judean hillsides. And our tour guide goes, you remember in Luke chapter 2 that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and said the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were sore afraid. And there was a baby born in the city of David in the town of Bethlehem. A baby will be born to you and he is Christ the Lord. And then there's suddenly a great multitude. I mean, the whole deal. I was like, here we are. And just then, I'm not kidding, a couple of shepherds come out with some sheep from behind a hillside. I, in my mind, I just imagined like a producer back there going, okay, tour bus number three is here. Uh, send, cue the sheep or whatever. I mean, it's literally like that, like boom, 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 boom. They're like, wow, this is awesome. I'm sure that's not what happened, but it was, it was really cool. And, uh, and I thought as our tour guide was there with us, he said, do you know uh, that one of the beliefs is that oftentimes when a sheep would wander away from the herd of other sheep and they, they would have a tendency to keep wandering, keep wandering, keep wandering, there would be times where that shepherd would break a leg of the sheep so that about six weeks that shepherd would carry that sheep on his shoulders in a way to build closeness and relationship with the sheep. Therefore, the sheep would not want to wander anymore. That story so impacted me that I ended up buying this uh, figurine, the, the shepherd with the sheep. Uh, and I bought one for Josh. And I also bought one for my dad and a few others. Because I really enjoyed that image of the shepherd carrying the sheep. And, and even there being pain in that moment. So much so that the sheep wanted then to be attached to the shepherd. Something of great value was lost. And therefore the shepherd carried that sheep on his shoulders. He, he goes after the one. And by the way, it wasn't just Jesus. This belief, this feeling of going after the one got transferred onto his disciples. It, Peter and John, you remember the time where they saw the blind beggar and they said, silver and gold we don't have, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They focused on his needs. Paul and Silas in the jail. They were there with the Philippian jailer and while they were in their own point of pain and and challenge they were worshiping so much so the philippian jailer was so moved by what happened he wanted to know about christ he came to christ they focused on him and then his whole his whole family philip was walking was sent to specifically talk to a man an ethiopian eunuch who had faith questions and philip took advantage of that opportunity and talked to him about the lord and what it meant and the ethiopian eunuch was baptized priscilla and aquila had their friend Apollos, and they talked to him about some things that he had misunderstandings on. Uh, here's what I'm saying. Jesus, the apostles, focused on the one. Now, what I want to do just for a few moments now is just make some observations about this story. These are so profound. Number one, in the stories in Luke 15, there are three of them, a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost boy. All of them, something of great value was missing. How many of you have ever lost something? Anybody in here ever lost a child? We did. We had four of them. We're like, eh. no, I'm just kidding. She was two at the Strawberry Festival. I've told you that story before, but it was about 10 minutes before we found Hannah. Talk about those moments of panic. Anybody ever lost a wallet? Josh, he loses his wallet every time he says, hey, um, let's go to lunch. I'll take you out. Oh, shoot. Lost my wallet. Where is it? Anybody ever lost your keys? 
If you've lost something of value, you know what it means, to, that desire to go find it, to look for it, to say, man, I really want that. But listen to what Jesus said. What is it if a man profits, if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, Jesus is saying the greatest of all tragedies is not losing your keys or your wallet, but it's, it's being lost forever, being created in the image of God, one whom Christ died for, but being lost for eternity. Now, in my ministry, I've preached a lot of funerals, and I've seen the deceased placed in the most expensive of caskets, dressed in the finest of clothes, wearing jewelry worth thousands of dollars, surrounded by dozens of floral tributes. Yet none of them erases the greatest tragedy of all if that person dies without Christ. Lost. We don't even like to think about that, and so we put it out of our mind. But the Bible says they're spiritually dead, eternally condemned, separated from God, the object of righteous wrath, lost forever. And so we have to, as believers in Jesus, really reorient our mind around the reality of all of this and say there is something that is lost and therefore it must be found. There must be urgency in our efforts. If we're going to take seriously the call of Christ and the parable that he's teaching here, that we would begin to see through eyes of the one. We would see with eyes of compassion, noticing the needs of those around us. We wouldn't just look at the crowd and float around. We would say, how do we focus on the one truly? God loves you, and so do we, and especially when it comes to their salvation. Jesus said, whoever has the Son who has eternal life, but he who does not have the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God abides on him. We must see this with urgency. The second observation is this, that there was an all-out search for that what was missing, an all-out search. The shepherd leaves 99 who are safe there and says, I'm going to go, and I'm going to find the sheep that's missing. I'm going to go out and look. And Luke 15, in three stories, the woman looks for a coin, the shepherd looks for a sheep, and the dad is watching for his son. We have to always be on the lookout for people that have spiritual needs. Several years ago now, Lisa and I were selling our first house, and we had decided to sell it by owner. And so we stuck a sign in the front yard, had a couple of open houses, and sure enough, a young couple drove by, saw the sign, came in, loved the house, and in talking to the couple, I found out they had been dating for a while, but they weren't married yet. Well, I wanted them to think about being married, and so I put on the pastor counseling hat there for a little while. It's not a great negotiation technique, but anyway. So I was like, hey, have you all ever, you know, thought about being married? And they were like, yeah, we're engaged. We have two big expenses, the marriage and the house. And so we decided to buy the house first, then to have the marriage. And I said, what, y'all, y'all go to church anywhere? And they were like, well, no, not really. And so for the next few minutes, we spent just talking about the difference that Jesus is, makes in a marriage and in a life and how they really should consider that, and as well as getting married before they buy a house together. And uh, we got right back to the negotiation. We agreed on price. They also agreed to let us rent the house from them while, they're, where, while our house was being built. That was a Saturday night. Next day, Todd and Heather were in church. The next week, they were in church. A few weeks later, they were baptized into Christ. A few weeks after that, they were married. And a few days after that, they moved into their house as husband and wife. All because of a little encounter at a table where maybe their greater need was not the house. In the book Lost in America, the author describes the decreasing interest in the church in America. Only about 20% of our population will be in church on any given Sunday 
and that only about half of the churches in all of America last year even had one convert, one person become a Christian. It does not take uh, someone doing stats to make us realize that we are losing ground spiritually speaking. But to reflect the Father's heart, we have to care about people who are truly lost. Jesus left the 90, said the shepherd left the 99 and went after the one. In other words, he left his livelihood, he left his security, he went to great lengths to find the lost sheep. This week as I was prepping for the message, I just looked up in quotes, 99, just to see how many times I'd used that and what kind of ways I'd used that phrase in my notes before, 99. And a song popped up called Reckless Love, and I was like, I need to tell David this. I'm going to call David and say, we got to do Reckless Love at church on Sunday. And lo and behold, he already had it in the plan. I checked it out after. You want to know the love of God? Listen to these words from this song. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You've been so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life into me. You've been so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. When I was your foe, still you fought for me. You have been so good to me. I, when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You've been so kind to me. There is no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming love, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights unfound, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it still. You give your life away over the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Yeah in my notes that's God's love for you the overwhelming never-ending reckless love of God and we have to have that same kind of heart and then there was great rejoicing in the stories in Luke 15 great rejoicing over a coin that was found great rejoicing over a son and great rejoicing over a sheep there was a party that was that happened. The shepherd finds this lost sheep. He calls his shepherd buddies together to the party and they celebrate together. And you realize when you read Luke 15, verse 10, there is great rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All of heaven celebrates. Now that is a mental image, isn't it, that comes to mind? You mean to tell me that on that night in September 1978, when I asked Christ to be my Savior, I was baptized by my dad. You mean to tell me there was a heaven-wide party? You mean to tell me that there was a name on that banner, that celebration that day at the table where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit hang out, and the name that day was my name? They were celebrating that fact? I mean, even though that's hard to believe, it's true because that's what the Bible says. There is great celebration in heaven over every person that comes to Christ. There is a party and it is for you and it's for me. Every single person matters. Every single person. And so, guys, I'm just telling you that we have to begin to see through the eyes of Christ. This is not a maybe we'll do it later. This is, this is now. I think, personally, it starts in our homes. I mean, in the case of the sheep, there was a deep relationship with the shepherd. In the case of the coin, this was in the woman's home. In the case of the lost son, it was a father-son relationship. I really believe that our, fir our, our first 
uh, evangelistic efforts should be with those in our own home. Leading our own family well, making sure there's right priorities, making sure we're communicating well with our children. Love and consistency and the fact that Christ loves them, their eternity depends on it. And reaching the ones also, we have to think in terms of what do we have in our circle of influences right now, outside of our family, that we could be influencing people. We, need, we could be saying right now today to someone, how do we, how do we help you know Christ? And gang, I'm just saying, this is one of those things we can't push off, we can't ignore, the stakes are far too high. I read a story a while ago about a uh, train that was, in 1947, uh, climbing up a mountain. It was in Italy, and they were going to their next uh, place to, to unload. And, but as they were approaching the crest of the hill, the engineers uh, saw that the train stalled. And they realized that the coal that they had there was not uh, doing the right job. And so they began to put more and more and more to kind of offset this low-grade coal. It was a great tragedy that happened that night. 921 of the 966 passengers died. The train never got off the track. It was not struck by another train. In the morning, the investigators came, and they went into the train. And as they would, they realized everybody was still seated in their seats. And they pushed them. And many of them fell over, and they had died from carbon monoxide poisoning. As the train struggled to pull the hill inside that tunnel, the carbon monoxide overwhelmed the individuals. And here's the real tragedy. Those deaths were not only needless, but people were completely unaware. And gang, I'm just saying, there is a whole lot of people that are unaware of the tragedy of uh, of their eternal reality. The Bible is very clear about an eternal separation from God. The Bible is very clear about the fact that without Christ, we are lost. And so we as the church must come in as those who offer this message of hope, extend this hope to people. And and we must be the ones to say, who is it in our world right now that we know? Because there are a lot of well-intentioned Christians who who have kept the brakes on on the train. Meanwhile, the great engineer has commanded us to move forward with the gospel. We must be willing to reach beyond the walls. So just what is holding you back? I think the greatest thrill, the second greatest thrill probably we'll ever have when we get to heaven, first greatest thrill is going to be able to come before Jesus. Be like, well done, good and faithful servant. I think the greatest, the second greatest thrill is going to be when somebody else sees you there and they grab you by the arm, they put their arm around your shoulder and say, I want to thank you so much because of you, because you're a witness, I've got eternal life. Build your relationship with the one. Pray for those around you that are your ones. Keep planting seed with people around you. Invite those who are around you to church and keep, keep praying and building relationships with them. So now in light of that, I just want to spend a few moments. We've got a little bit of time here. I want to spend just a few moments just praying for us. I'm going to pray for some very specific things. So if you would just bow your head. And, and first, as you close your eyes, just think about... Um, those that are ones in your, in your influence? Who are the ones, the individuals that you know in your family or beyond that need Christ? You, you think about them for a moment. And now, God, we just pray for, for the ones. And God, the first one I want to pray for is is I want to pray for the individuals in this room. 
before they ever think about someone outside or in their circles of influence, God, I want to have them direct their attention to themselves for a moment. God, there may be individuals in this room that they know they're that one. They're, they're not in the 99. They are separated. They have never come to a point of decision before you, God, where they say yes to Christ. So, God, I pray for them. I, God, I pray that even as we come to the baptism next weekend, that these individuals will be willing to say yes to Christ. They'll be willing to say, I want to die to my old life. I want to be raised to new life again. I got to pray for them right now. But I pray for those others who may have been at Christ at one point, but they wandered away. They are that wandering sheep in a very real uh, way. So God, I pray for that repentance, that time to come back before God and say, God, I'm sorry for the things I've done. God, I want to be in right relationship with you. So God, we pray for that. Now, God, we pray for those who are fathers and mothers, grandparents. God, right now we pray for their prodigal child, a child that's in college, that's not living a a godly life, or a child that uh, is in high school or junior high, and maybe they've never come to faith, and so we're praying for that child, for their children to come to faith in Christ. Or that child that's wandered away, God, we just pray for them. We just pray right now. People are naming those children before you in their own prayers. God, I pray for our immediate families. Maybe there's somebody in your family that doesn't know Christ. A a father, a mother, an aunt, an uncle, a a grandparent, a child. God, I pray today for those that we're naming right now. God, I pray for mom or dad. or God, I pray for my, my brother or sister. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would move us to build a relationship with them in such a way that we'll be able to have spiritual conversations. Challenging conversations sometimes, but always lead with love. Then, God, I, I, I draw it out more and we, to the circles beyond us and those that we work with or those we go to school with, those that we go to the soccer game with or the football game with. And, Lord, I just pray, just like that moment with Todd and Heather, that as we're building bridges with people, that there will be opportunity of spiritual conversations. Some of them have an immediate reaction like Todd and Heather. Some, in my experience, take years upon years upon years. But it is that fostering of that relationship, God, leading with love that allows us to have an audience. When something tragic or hard happens in their life, God, I pray that we'd have the right words to speak, the right presence in their life, so that before they die, God, they will have the opportunity to come into a relationship with you. And God, we pray for that across the board here. As we enter this school season, God, that all of us would see with with your eyes and we would have your heart that God we would pay attention to the ones in our lives Lord we thank you for that we thank you for Christ and God we thank you for the reckless love that allowed you to pursue us we celebrate you now in Jesus name